1 Corinthians. If there's time, we'll get into it. This is the love passage of the Scripture. As most of you know, this is the launch Sunday of what we're calling 40 Days of Love. It's when our whole congregation, or at least a good part of it, divides up into small groups once a week to go through what's rapidly becoming a classic called uh, The Relational Principles of Jesus, written by Tom Holliday. And there will be a DVD of Rick Warren doing some teaching on love each week in our small groups. Then we'll be discussing the teaching. We'll be uh, praying for each other. uh, We'll be all reading the book through the week. And then on Sunday morning for the next six weeks, I'll be reinforcing that theme here from the pulpit. We are really excited. We have more, well more than half of our congregation signed up to be a part of our small groups. And that is just great. Way to go. And I think more will probably sign up today. This is uh, also the only Sunday that would really work for our Haiti missions trip report. And uh, we took that a couple weeks ago. And, uh, but as we thought about it, it seemed fitting to focus on loving others, outsiders, even as we focus on loving one another, right? This is the year of what we're calling the year of the caring community. And today will be a good reminder that one of the main goals of being a caring community in the first place um, is that by this, they'll know that we are his disciples. If we love one another, that is, it's a whole lot for the sake of the whole world. And it's also fitting that we report on Haiti today because... As uh, we'll see at the end of the service, did we experience a caring community with one another, with our little team, or what? It was a wonderful time, just for the sake of experiencing community together. And we have been really missing each other. And so this reunion Sunday is one that I've been looking forward to. Now, on most mission trips, you've got to write the word flexible across your baseball cap, right? Because something always goes wrong. On this one, first one I've ever been on in 28 years, nothing went wrong. It went smooth as silk. It was unbelievable. When we got back, however, no one got sick from the food there. When we got back, we had this big Mexican meal, and half the team got sick. Fancy that. Get sick from food in America and not in Haiti. And so we've been having to be flexible now that we're back, and we're going to have to be flexible today because one of the main guys who's going to be giving a testimony, Steve Maher, one of our uh, uh, doctors who went down with us, is uh, lives. he and his wife live in Buena Vista, and he was supposed to be here by now, but they're not. So I assume, anyone know what the roads are like between here and Buena Vista? I assume that... Uh, They must be bad or something. He wouldn't miss this for anything. So what we're going to do is I'm going to be talking about 40 days of love first with a message rather than at the end with a message. And we'll be flip-flopping it and doing the uh, Haiti missions report at the end of the service. And so as I'm talking, be praying. And be praying that that, uh, if they're stuck or whatever, God would just miraculously get them here by uh, about 9.30 or so. That would be pretty good time. So pray for 9.30 that they would show up, and we'll see what happens. You know, one thing I learned on this mission trip is that if you want your life to count, if you want your life to count, you've got to focus it. And that takes time, and that takes energy, and that takes sacrifice. But on the other side of that focus, whether that be a missions trip or focusing on loving one another in a small group over six weeks or whatever, on the other side of it, it is always well worth it, isn't it? Got to focus it. You don't have time for everything. Not everything, you know, is of equal value, is it? 
And Jesus said there are two things, as we saw last week, that are more valuable uh, in life than anything else, bar none. He said it's love. Loving God, right? Great commandment. Loving one another. The whole law, all that we're supposed to do is summed up in that. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your, uh, as the overflow of his love, love your neighbor as yourself. One of the verses that we looked up last week is where Jesus, again, was asked about the most important command. And that's what it is. And God says there are two things that matter most in life. He says if you get these two things, you got it. Pretty simple. The Christian life can seem so complicated, but we're going to see over the next six weeks that it's pretty simple. When God created you, have you ever thought, you know, why didn't he just take us to heaven? Why all this stuff down here on earth? Why did he put us on earth? Well, there, you know, we're here for 60, 80, maybe at most 100 years, and then you're going to live for eternity in heaven or hell. And why didn't God just create us and take us to heaven? He could have done that. Well, we saw last week that the Bible is very clear about it, that God put you here on earth to do two things, to learn to love God and to learn to love one another and outsiders, because that's what we're going to be doing for all eternity. Uh, Earth is practice for heaven. And how well you do here will determine how glorified you are up there, how much pleasure you have in love up there, in the love of God and the love of one another. So the earth is practice. We saw last week that the Bible is very clear about it, that God put us here to do two things. And I'm repeating it, and I'm going to again and again, because we so easily forget what's most important. Life's not about acquisition, you know, about how much I get. Life's not about accomplishment, about how much I do. It's not about achievement, about, you know, how much I... uh, Earn. It's not about recreation, about how much I enjoy myself out there on a powder day or whatever. It's not about all the other things that we're told life is about here in America. Because we're going to leave all that behind. You're not taking your career to heaven, right? You're not taking your hard-earned car to heaven, the one, you know, that is the, uh, uh, so dear to you. You're not taking your china to heaven. You're not taking your uh, house to heaven. But you are taking your character. You're taking you. I'm taking me. That's all we can take with us. And God puts you on earth for 80 to 100 years so you can learn to love. Life is all about learning to love. God, uh, Jesus said, if you get that, you get life. That's what I want to point out today. We're going to talk about the priority of love. This morning we're going to look briefly at what you might call the three laws of love. The three laws of love. And they're very simple, but I think very profound. If you're going to uh, ever be a greater lover, you're going to learn to really love God and to learn to love other people. You've got to learn to keep your mind and your life focused on the three laws of love. Law number one, the best use of life is love makes it pretty easy to set our priorities. The best use of life is love. Paul says there are three things that abide. Remember that? What are they? Faith, hope, and what? Love, charity, yeah. The only thing that abides is what, through faith and hope, you do in love. I hate to tell you this, but the truth is that one day, you know, all your trophies are going to be trashed. Given enough time, somebody's going to throw them away. 
that bowling trophy. I don't know if any of you got into that. I know some of you did way back when. That merit badge. You know, that report card, that certificate of accomplishment, that, you know, the gold watch you got for a retirement. Nobody's going to remember those things. Nothing else you do on this planet is permanent. It's all temporary. You didn't bring any of it in with you. You're not taking any of it out with you either. As, you know, as a pastor, I've been with numerous people as they uh, breathe their dying breath. It's been quite a privilege to be there. I wouldn't trade it for anything because you learn so much. You learn so much being by your very career forced into instance after instance where it's all about love. And you learn all about life. They've taken their dying breath, whether it was in a hospital or a home or a hospice, and I've stood at many beds as they've moved from time into eternity. And I have to tell you something. I, that In almost 30 years, I've never had anybody say to me, as they were taking their, you know, their dying breath, I've never had anyone say, Pastor, I'm about to die. Please bring me my certificate of award. I want to just look at it one more time. Bring me my diploma. Bring me my report card. Bring me my trophy. Whatever. Nobody ever asked for those things. Believe me, I've been there. When people are dying, they don't want things around them. What is it that they want? People. It's all that matters when it's all stripped away. People. They want the people that they love, and they want to love those people for the last time. The truth is, everybody, every one of us will eventually learn the basic truth of life, that life is all about relationships, not accomplishments. Everybody's going to eventually learn it on their deathbed. When you're dying, you're going to want people around you who love you, not things. So we're all going to figure that out over the next 40 days. See how that works. See why it's so important. But, you know, we get so busy, don't we? Rick Warren said, most people have given first-class allegiance to second-class causes. We tend to make second things first, and first things second. Can, can, can you afford six weeks to give first-class allegiance to a first-class cause, just a night a week for six weeks? Can you afford not to? 1 Corinthians 13.3 says in the message version, no matter what I say or what I believe or what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Many people on their deathbeds feel bankrupt. I don't want that to happen to me. Law number one, the best use of life is love. Law number two, the best expression of love is time. Time. You spell love, T-I-M-E. Just like He, our Savior, took time to love. Time and time and time again. The Bible says in 1 John 3.18, we must show love through actions, through actions that are sincere, not through empty words. And that takes time. It takes nine or ten days going on a trip to Haiti. To be, to be so filled with His love from the little body that you bring down there, overflowing into the world that you come back with far more than you ever gave. 
More than worth it. But on the front end, it takes sacrifice. It takes time. Just ask your kids. The greatest gift of love is your focused attention. And only you can give that. You can't pay someone to do it. That's why the Good Samaritan is one of the greatest examples of love. He was on his way like we are doing business, on his way to do what he ever, ever had to do. He stopped and looked and took a lot of time. And now he is almost the supreme example of human beings who really love the, the, the Good Samaritan. We all have different amounts of energy. We all have different amounts of wealth. We all have, you know, uh, different amounts of talent. We have different amounts of personality. Sometimes I wish I had more. But we all have the exact same amount of time. We're equally wealthy. Uh, 168 hours a week. And you get to choose how you use it. As an adult American, you will live an average of 25,550 days. So you better be careful how you choose to use your time. When you give your life to a TV program, you've just given away an hour or whatever that you're never going to get back. Ever. It's the most precious commodity that we've been given. Our life, our time, our hours, our moments. You need to decide. Was that program worth it? Was it worth my time? Is it worth a night a week for six weeks to focus on love? You know, Dr. Richard Svensson is one of the world's authorities on stress. And he wrote this, I've come to believe that the speed of society is as much responsible for the problems of personal and social dysfunction as any other single factor. Virtually all our relationships are damaged by hurry. So often we're always in a hurry. Many families are being starved to death by velocity, right? Always in a hurry. Hither and yon, never even eat together anymore. We do, 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 whether that's sports or accomplishments or whatever. We walk fast, we talk fast, we eat fast, and then we announce, sorry, got to run. Is that your life? I suspect God, you know, doesn't fit any better into our breakneck schedules than our children do sometimes. Chuck Swindoll said this, busyness destroys relationships. It substitutes shallow frenzy for deep friendship. Busyness feeds the ego, maybe, but it starves those who, loves us, who love us. It fills the calendar, but it so often divides and fractures the family. The nuclear family, the church family, the community. What do your kids want? I tell you what they want. They want you. They want you. Look at me, Daddy, you know. Have, have they ever said that to you? Put your paper down, honey. Has your wife ever said that to you? Let me have your attention. And only you can give that. You are the only one in the world, the only one in the universe who has you to give. Kids don't need things. They need parents. Another, you know, another video game is not the answer. It'll keep them busy to free you to do your thing, but it's not the answer. 
to what they need. They need you. Let me give you one suggestion. Just turn off the TV and the computer a little bit more often. One of our families in the church went on a one-month fast from computer and TV. And uh, they're not here any longer, but they came back and said, you don't know how it enriched our relationships. Ever notice how when all the power goes out, you're all forced into one room? You can't watch TV, can't do computers, you got this little light, and you're finally together. And it's usually a rich time, isn't it? Duh, what's hurting our relationships? So turn off the TV and the computer. Maybe do a fast of that for six weeks. Or maybe just a month or maybe a week. Recent studies show that the average American watch watches sits in front of the television or a video screen, the TV screen or the computer screen, working or, play, working or playing there six hours a day. That's average. And you guys are all above average, so it's probably more for you. No, I'm just kidding. What does that mean? Well, it means we've got the time. You know, it's always amazed me that people will go and watch reruns of Friends instead of making Friends. You know? Really. And they go home and watch reality shows about someone else's family, right? Instead of working on the reality of their own family. We're becoming spectators instead of participators in true love. I want to recommend that starting tomorrow morning, you get up in the morning and you sit down on the side of your bed, and before you get off the bed, you say this, God, if I don't get anything else done today, I'm going to love you a little bit more. And uh, love you a little bit better. And I'm going to love the people you've put in my life a little bit more and better. That's my priority today, God, because that's what you put me on here on earth to do. If I don't get anything else done today, I'm going to love you a little bit more. And that means spending some time with him, spending some time with somebody. You've got to love somebody. That's what he says to us each day. You can give without loving. If I give all my possessions to the poor and don't love, I've got nothing. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Otherwise, it's just words. It's just sentiment. And that takes sacrifice. And the, and the bottom line is giving, especially these days, your time. So, again, how about six nights over the next six weeks? Law number one, the best use of life is love. Law number two, the best expression of love is time. And then law number three, the best time to love is now. The best time to love is now. The Bible says, whenever we have the opportunity, when opportunity arises, the time is now. Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. Use every chance you have for doing good. That's Ephesians 5.16. Proverbs 3.27 and 28. We went through that about three years ago. Whenever you possibly can, do good to those who need it. Never tell your neighbors to wait until tomorrow if you can help them now. The best time to love is now. Question. Who do you need to show love to today? Who do you need to, you know... Uh, go home to after the service and make that phone call or share a word of encouragement uh, or love. Let the Spirit speak to you now. 
Maybe someone has already come to mind. Who do you need to go home and write a letter to? And Steve Maher just arrived. Sight for sore eyes. Way to go, brother. We've all been praying. I started the service by saying, pray that they'd make it. And here they are. And Steve, you need to go to John and get wired up. And then you, oh, you're already wired up. Okay. All right. We're good to go. Who do you need to invite over to your home to show some love? Who do you need to invite to be a part of your 40 days of love group? Who is at your work, at your work, you know, that everybody can't stand because they're so obnoxious, but, and that person needs massive doses of love, not rejection. That just makes their behavior worse. Who do you, what unlovely person do you need to show love to? You have no idea how long you're going to have the opportunity. People die. Circumstances change. Kids grow up. We're learning that. Our nest is now two-thirds empty, having been, uh, having been totally full for one day last week. There was an overlap with all our kids on Thursday. And now we're empty again. Kids will uh, grow up. I can't tell you how many empty nester parents have said to me, I sure wish I'd spent more time with my kids before they left home. In 1972, in the uh, 72 election, George McGov- uh, McGovern was running, running against Richard Nixon. And uh, McGovern and Charles Colson were on you know, opposite sides of the political spectrum. But they both ended up with the same regrets. Chuck Colson wrote this, As I think back on my life, my biggest regret is not spending more time with my kids. Making your family top priority means going against a culture where materialism and workaholism are rampant. It means realizing that you may not advance as fast in your career as others do. It means being willing to accept a lower standard of living, doing it for the kids, or maybe leaving Summit County so you don't have to, both of you work, and burn the candle on both ends to the sacrifice of what? The greatest thing. (laughs) It means giving them the emotional security that they'll draw on the rest of their lives and you'll get it back from them, believe me, if you do. Then George McGovern, McGovern, one-time presidential candidate, wrote a book about his daughter, Terry. She died in 1994. She was an alcoholic. They found her frozen to death in a a snowdrift in a, a drunken stupor. After his daughter died, McGummerin poured over her diaries and contacted many of her friends, and he discovered that he hadn't been the parent that he thought he was. While he was reading her diaries, he discovered this while he was spending, um, you know, 18 hours a day working for all these political causes. Terry was writing in her diary while he did that how much she missed her daddy and that he probably didn't care about her anyway. That's the signal it sent. And that was probably more true than he would have liked to admit. That we would, than we would like to admit. Probably didn't care that much. McGovern's message to parents, show more love to your kids by spending more time with them, especially as teenagers. No matter what it costs your career, that way, he said, neither of you will have regrets. Then this very poignant quote, he said, I'd give everything I have, I mean everything, for one more afternoon with Terry just to let her know how much I love her and uh, to have one more of those happy times that we used to have so infrequently. Are you ready to get serious? I am. 
Here's some homework. This week I want you to take 5, 10, 15 minutes, you decide, every day to talk with each of your family members. Or maybe if you're not married, uh, don't have family or friends. And listen and look them in the face as you listen. You may need to apologize. You may need just to sympathize, not to give suggestions, answers, just to give them an ear. So often love is just giving an ear. To spend some time with the people God has put into your life because the best use of life is love. And the best expression of love is time. And the best time to love is now. Which brings up the last thing I'd like you to do if you haven't already, and that is once the service is over, go over to the welcome table and sign up for 40 Days of Love where we're going to learn how to love one another. Well, shifting gears now. Again, it's fitting that we report on Haiti today because did we experience love for one another down there or what? True, caring community? I mean, eating together, laughing together, crying together. As we were in the room with a girl that you're going to find out about who had a horrible problem with her leg and we prayed for her and God worked some miracles. Um, Trying to do the puzzle of the 10-mile range together, that'll drive you crazy. Believe me, all the pieces look alike. And it, uh, though thanks to Krista Solom and a few others, not thanks to me, we did a good part of that puzzle together. Not to mention going shoulder to shoulder all day long, loving others, reaching out to the needy, uh, to the lowest of the, uh, of the lowly, in, and, and, and what that does to deepen your love for one another. Because caring community, because most caring, when it comes out of our love for one another, when it comes when we turn outward to love others, that kindles something among us. Which we'll see next year when we focus on going passionately. I think Kevin McDonald summed it up at the very end when we were debriefing in a hotel in Fort Lauderdale and just talking about what impacted us the most. He looked at each of us and he said, I just want to thank you guys. I want to thank each of you. And he looked each one of us in the face and he said with tears in his eyes, you are beautiful. You are so beautiful. I can't think of any other word to describe it. You're beautiful. Beautiful. And I thought of Psalm 16.3, as for the saints that are on the earth, These are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. So if we could have all the beautiful people that are here today, could you stand up who went to Haiti and maybe come up here on the front row? And uh, we had the largest trip ever. I think there were 14 or 15, but not all were able to make it. Just to give you an eyeful of some beautiful people... And to give you a sense about what we can experience together. Father, we now just commit this time to you. Thank you that you make all things beautiful in their time. And that this would be a beautiful encounter with your love channeled through us. And that the fire would be kindled in this congregation like never before to burn brightly for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Why don't you sit down on the front row? And, um, or, I'm sorry, on the, yeah.
you'll find that those who are real servants don't like to be pointed out in public. And a couple of them mentioned that to me. So that's the only pointing out we're going to do, okay? Don't have to worry. You can just enjoy yourselves the rest of the time. First, we'd like to give you kind of an overview of the trip through uh, some slides.